Well, kids, that makes my heart happy. Some good work back there. Appreciate all of you that volunteer back there. As a matter of fact, if that's, if that's a passion of yours, you, you can't miss Matt right now. You're welcome to reach out to him, and we can put you to work. Hey, you heard uh, right before Christmas, we got a lot of cool things going with students. So, like, there's this, there's this movement. There's a lot of movement back there with the babies right now. And then you got the elementary kids and then middle school and high school kids where actually the atrium's going to be converted to your spot. And a lot of cool things in, in the works for students for this year. And then the senior class, if y'all haven't, we, we've got about 20 seniors, and they are excellent here at Radius. We're really proud of them. And then we've got this group of folks that grew up here at Radius. Some of them, their entire lives here at Radius were finally that old. Um, and they've gone off to college, and they come back in, they peek in. We, we just got a really great group of college students that, that love Jesus that are studying to do their variety of things. And that's when you think about reproducing, we certainly want to make disciples of our neighbors, but we, we, we certainly want our kids to hear and know about They're going to have to make a choice for themselves to follow him, right? But we, we certainly want to give them that opportunity and then have them pass the good news on to others as well. So we've got, we've got all this variety of college kids. We're actually going to have that we generally do this on the first Sunday of the year. We have a college student or a 20-something preach for us. And so today, the one that's going to preach is related to me. So I'm going to call JT up here. This is my fifth child. He makes me look a little small, so I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay up front so the angle's good. Um, and uh, what, what's been interesting is the last couple of days, JT and I, we've had a couple of conversations, and he asked me, did I want my kids to go into ministry, which is an interesting, interesting question and a good question for all of us to ask. I was like... I never really thought about it. He's like, Dad, you're, like, you're a pastor. Like, you hadn't thought about it? I'm like, no, I, I, I truly believe, college students in the room, that every one of you is called to ministry. But, but most of you won't do it like, like you'll never get paid for it, right? Like you're, you're, or, or you won't do it, quote, professionally, because we don't, we don't really view the profession real highly. We, we think everybody's supposed to make disciples, Everybody, everybody that knows Jesus is responsible for their radius. And so I hope, I got six kids, I hope that we reproduce six kids that would love their radius and make disciples. And then recently, you started talking about going into ministry, so this is my fifth, and I thought maybe you'd tell everybody what that process was like. Yeah, Um, (laughs) this is pretty recent development for me, so it's a long story, I can tell you the long story. But I came into the college that I was going to as an English major, which some of you are like, why the heck did you go to college to be an English Probably major? Probably because of my language. <laughs> True. <laughs> I had to learn a whole lot when I got there. Uh, but I think looking at ministry, two things that really pop out to me of, of kind of how I moved in that direction and how maybe if you're thinking through it uh, as something that you want to do for a long time, which I know some, some of us are, uh, one was that uh, I just had this passion to learn a whole lot more about the Lord, and I wanted to do that for a long time going forward. So one is just, where is the Lord calling us? Where does it feel like he's leading us? For a lot of my brothers, that was just straight to the workforce. Afterward, for me, it's a little different. I'm, I'm going to go try and go to seminary next year and learn a lot more about the Bible. So that's always the first part. And the second part is, like, what are people telling you about your gifting, about who you are as a person, about what you're good at, about what you're bad at. I got some people who can tell me what I'm bad at, too. And that is so helpful. It's really good. When mom's just like, no, that's not it. <laughs> that's not for you. So uh, two things is, one, just where is the Lord calling? And uh, that, for me, has been 
towards a, an area of ministry. Yeah, so we're really excited. We get a variety of college students going different directions. Uh, I met one studying law a little bit ago, I, a couple more thinking about ministry. We got folks studying all sorts of things in, in our room, that, and we're, we're excited about all of it. We are excited. We got a couple thinking about ministry, and, and certainly we need some folks to lead. Now, way, you're thinking about going to seminary. You want to go to a nerd seminary. Isn't <laughs> that right? That's true. Did I, is that offensive? I Can you not say all. nerd? You can't say anything. Anyway, like... <laughs> What, what, like, what word are you going to take from your home to teach the seminary people? Teach all the nerdy people? Teach the nerdy people, yeah. About, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Dad loves to, loves to make everyone know that uh, sometimes a redneck's the smartest person in the room. Absolutely. Uh, so I think I'll take that with me. One of, one of his favorite stories to tell is when we went to this really nerdy school, and uh, they asked us this question. And nobody could figure it out. And Dad just read the sign, and he, he gave the answer. He's the dumbest person in the room, but he actually knew the answer. Exactly. Right. I'll take that as a compliment. It's all there yours. You go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm adopted. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm kind of like this artsy, nerdy individual. And my parents are neither of those things in any way. But my mom gets offended when I say that I was adopted. Uh, she says that she's got some very specific and vivid memory of carrying me for nine months. And, uh, and an even more vivid memory of uh, giving birth, apparently. She said it hurts or something like that. Um, <laughs> another reason sometimes I feel like I'm adopted, I'm a very organized individual. My parents are what I would call uh, agents of chaos, and uh, they're very talented at blowing things up, and uh, somehow everything comes together still, but uh, church planners over there, they just, they just go their ways and blow things up. I like organization, so I do this thing at the new year, and I make myself a beautiful spreadsheet. I mean, it is it's gorgeous, color-coded. Thank you. We got some clapping up at the front. Uh, I, I have some, I, the colors this year just really made me happy. Uh, a nice light shade of green with kind of a navy blue that's kind of, uh, you know, light enough to where you can do the writing on it, a lavender in there, some gray. Anyways, it's gorgeous, and I set all my things up, and I was so excited about it, because you just feel really good about yourself when you write all these things that you are going to do. Um, You're like, wow, I'm a great person. I haven't had to put any of the work in either. Today, we're going to talk just a little bit about how our goals should be looking going into 2023, this new year and this new day that the Lord has given us. So let me pray, and then we'll get into the passage. Uh, Father, just thankful for another day that you've given us. And Lord, I pray right now that you would give me, um, Lord, just a heart of worship. We just sang a song that's every word from our mouths is your breath. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a time of worship for myself and for everyone in this room. Uh, Lord, give us hearts that want you and desire you coming into the new year. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let me read you all some verses out of Isaiah chapter 6. We looked at these a little bit last week. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. 
Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. We meet the writer of this book called Isaiah. It's the second biggest book in the Bible. I have a brother named Isaiah. I have a brother named just about every prophet in the Bible. Um, (laughs) Isaiah is this guy who is probably a very, very privileged individual. Not unlike a lot of us in this room, compared to the rest of the world, Isaiah is actually an advisor to the king. He's actually related to the royal line. He's actually in with the righteous folks of his time. He's looked up to by a whole lot of people. And in this moment, a lot of, a lot of uh, smart people, Tim Keller, who I love to listen to, say that he's probably walking to the temple, which for the Jews of that time is kind of similar for us walking into a Sunday service on a Sunday morning. And that's the last place he expects to find God. He's just walking there. He's going through the motions. He's done it a thousand times before. And uh, he goes up to the temple, and he gets into the temple, the place of worship. And when he gets into the temple, he gets on his knees. And when he gets on his knees, he closes his eyes. And then he opens them. When I was a kid, I had a, uh, an obsession with Legos. Anyone else in this room? Nope. Oh, there we go. Let's go. And you are, kids, if you like Legos, just go ahead and stand up for me. There we go. That's great. That's great. Did anyone get Legos for Christmas? Anyone? Oh, wow. Big row right here. That's great. I never personally got Legos for Christmas. Um, I just got the hand-me-downs from my siblings. <laughs> Uh, But the great thing about that was we had this huge box of Legos that had been taken apart from all these other sets, and it's just this mishmash of everything that you can think of, and we would make incredible designs from the little things that we had. I would make entire fleets, battalions of ships, and make them go to war every morning, if that tells you anything about myself. Uh, On Saturday mornings, I'd wake up at 6 a.m., and set my alarm, and wake up at 6 a.m. so that I could fight with these battleships that I had created from my own mind. And the thing about these battleships is that if you came in and took a peek at them, you might think they were that. You might not think that they were that great. In fact, my parents sometimes didn't think they were that great. But I knew, I did, as some of y'all probably know, that these were the best ships in the galaxy. Um, They didn't know that... My favorite ship uh, had a force field around it. And uh, they also didn't know that every single Lego piece on there had the capacity to fire heat-seeking missiles at any moment. Um, They didn't know that it had the record for the most shot-down airplanes in the galaxy at the time. They just didn't know any of that. That's okay, they were ignorant. Um, (laughs) But I, I did. When we try to understand the things that have been created by other people without knowing the creator, it is really difficult to understand what that thing is. 
without an understanding from the designer, it is really impossible for us to grasp what the design is without an understanding from the maker. We don't know what's been made. When Isaiah goes to the temple and gets on his knees before the Lord, he opens his eyes and he sees his creator. What a privilege. And here's what happens when he sees his creator. Verse 5. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When we see God, when we see our maker, we see ourselves. And that is the only way we see ourselves, is when we actually get a vision of who God is, like Isaiah does in this passage. There's something in the human nature that always desires to compare ourselves to other people. Anybody else? Uh, or maybe I'm the only competitive person in the room. I might be the most competitive person in the room, but I think all y'all have a little bit in here. Uh, something that always in us desires to compare ourselves. And this is why Instagram and TikTok and Be Real are so helpful for the younger generations. Um, <laughs> It's really dangerous for us to allow people to feel bad about losing sports or music competitions. So we give everyone a trophy, but it's totally fine if we can numerically value everyone's social status by their follower counts on, on these different things. The hard part about comparing ourselves is a lot of times we just feel disgusting about ourselves. Because there's always someone, something a little better than we are. And so immediately, when we compare ourselves to great things, we feel lesser. And we know in our heart of hearts that we just can't ever reach the places that we want to reach. And yet, on the other hand, and there is another hand, how are we supposed to know what is wrong in our own hearts until we have compared and seen what is right? There are a whole lot of coaches and teachers that are just so bad. Um, not here, but everywhere else, there are some coaches and teachers who are just so bad, wonderful hearts. But they're bad because they know how to tell you what's wrong. They know when I'm dribbling the ball that I'm doing it wrong, but they're not telling me how to do it right. So I'm dribbling the ball, and they're saying, oh, you, did, you didn't do it right, that's wrong, that's wrong. How is that supposed to help me when I don't know how to do it right? You can't play a sport of no. You can't do a school subject of no. There's just red marks on your paper. How are you going to learn how to do it right the next time? You can't live a life of no. You need the yes. Isaiah has gone his whole life, and he knows all the no's. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And a whole lot more thou shalt not are in his head, and he's got to memorize, and he knows how to do them. So he knows all of the no's, but he hasn't met the yes yet. And when he goes, and he opens his eyes, and he sees his maker for the very first time, he sees what yes actually looks like. 
he sees the perfect image of who he is supposed to be. When that happens, when anyone sees God in the Bible, the automatic reaction is what Isaiah says, Whoa, is me. We can't live when we see God because God is so perfect. And when we see ourselves in light of God, we know that we've fallen too short to ever, ever come close to becoming what we were supposed to be in the first place. And that would destroy us. And yet, on the other hand, when we actually see God for who he is, we see that we were made in his image. And we see in his eyes the glorious way that we were made to be in a way, in an elevated way that we have never, ever, ever imagined how glorious we were made as human beings in his image to be. Two sides of when we look at God. And here's what happens in the passage. And here's what always happens with the Lord. Verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. When we come up and we look at the Lord, our Father has always, 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 always provided a way to freedom from us recognizing our brokenness. And he says, I have made you whole so that you can look upon me and see the beauty that I've created you to be. He has always, always provided us a way to freedom. And that's a beautiful thing. So when we look at God, we see ourselves. When we see ourselves, we understand that we have to change. And we have to change, he gives us a way. However, comma, uh, the weird part about this passage, maybe you didn't notice it. Did anyone pick up the flaming coal part? Um, he flew to me having in his hand a burning coal and put it on my mouth. Now, personally, if I were Isaiah, <laughs> I think I'd see the angel walking back there, you know, into this big fire, picking up a coal, walking towards me. I'd say, whoa, okay. I mean, I know I'd say, woe is me and everything, but I didn't mean like, like I want all that. When we see that we got to change, the thing that always happens with change is that it hurts really bad. It's a really good example of this. Um, I read books. I love books. Uh, there's this guy named C.S. Lewis. I like to call him Clive because that's his name and it's super cool. Uh, maybe you've read or watched the movies of the Chronicles of Narnia. The third one, called The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, there is this character and his name is Eustace. And he is the most annoying person on the face of the planet. You know this person. They're in your life. Um, he is selfish, a brat, uh, spoiled, all the things that is just wrong with the world. And he, he does this thing where he and his people, they go to this magical island, as one does, 
and they began to walk around. Eustace splits off from the rest of them, and he goes and finds this treasure hoard, whole lot of gold, just a whole lot of beautiful jewelry, and he begins to steal it and put it on. And once he has stolen it for himself and put it on, he is turned into a dragon. Have you ever done something or said something and two seconds after you said it, you say, I'm a monster for that. Eustace has finally been consumed by the monster that was inside of him. And only when that happens, when he recognizes that he has been consumed by the monster, does he actually see himself for who he actually is. He looks in a reflection and he sees his dragon face and he says, oh my goodness, this is not who I want to be. So what does he do? He tries to rip apart his skin. He tries to take off his own monsterness, and he can't. He's not strong enough. So he goes to the only one that he thinks is strong enough. He goes to this big old lion called Aslan. And when he goes to Aslan, who is C.S. Lewis's picture of Jesus Christ, he says, Aslan, I need your help. And the movie doesn't get this right. They never do. Uh, Only the book gets it right. But he goes to Aslan, and he goes before him, and uh, Aslan looks at him and takes out a claw and rakes it into his skin and tears down. And he does it again. He breaks it into his skin and he tears it down until all the skin on Eustace is shredded. And there's nothing left except for that boy that was originally created to be as he was. Why is it so painful for us to (laughs) make these New Year's goals and actually try to go through with them? Why is it so painful to actually change from some of the sin that we have in our lives? As I thought through this and was just trying to wrestle through this with the Lord, I think it's because we actually love the dragon part of us, right? We actually love our skin. It's so close to us. We actually love our sin. Pain is when we get hurt. Pain is the injury of the self. And so when we are hurting, that shows how we're defining ourselves. We've defined ourselves by our sin. Because what we want, what we desire, if that's what gets filled up, if we get filled up by that stuff, then then that's what we need. And so if that gets taken away, then we feel like we can no longer be filled up. Eustace has defined his filling in something different than his dragon. He has defined his filling in Aslan. It's really hard to do that because the thing about that is I no longer have any power to fulfill anything in my own life. Right? I no longer have the agency to do what I want to do. The danger of looking at Jesus is that we might actually become like him. 
we become whatever we behold. We become whatever we look at the most. And if we know who Jesus Christ is, the kids just explain the story so well. Jesus takes this life that he has, and he goes, and he gives away everything that he is, and then he goes to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, he's hung. The danger of looking at Jesus and the pain that comes with looking at Jesus is that one day we might look like him. And we might bleed. Got communion on either side to remember his blood. We might bleed like him. So as we're thinking of New Year's goals... We know that when we see God, we see ourselves. So everything that we hope for in the future of 2023 needs to be defined by how we see him to be. We know that when we see ourselves, we've got to make a change. So there are probably changes in our lives that we have to make, and we have to actually make good and tough decisions about what we need to change. We know that if we're going to change, it's going to hurt a little bit. And when it hurts in 2023... Here's the full cycle. We look back to Jesus Christ. Why? Because first he came to die for us, and later he's coming back. So when it hurts, we are able to look at Jesus Christ because we believe and we hope that he is going to make everything that's been wrong in our lives right one day. And he's going to redeem everything that was broken and disgusting and horrible that we've had happen. And he's going to make everything beautiful that's been ugly. And we trust in that. And that gives us freedom. One last thing and then I'll close. Um, This passage ends with verse 8. It says... And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. That's such a vulnerable position for Isaiah to be in. As we're thinking about what we want this new year to look like, 2023 to look like, I loved what Chris had just said earlier. The only condition that Jesus puts on us for following him is that we put no conditions on him. The only prerequisite for following God is that we have no requirements on what he asks of us. Because if we ever are able to put God in a box and say, you can't ask me this, then he's no longer God. He's just one of the self-help things that everyone else in the world is trying to use. We don't use God. We worship him. And this passage is so powerful in that Isaiah falls to his knees. And when he is cleaned, cleansed through the pain of fire on his lips, he says, here I am, send me open-ended. Where is it for us this year that the Lord is seeking to ask us to walk to the cross and let it be crucified with him?